Welcome to XBS Hub, the story behind the coach. The first episode is in the books, and our guest today was the football coach, the very successful football coach, Elisabeth Gunnarsdóttir. Hi, Elisabeth. Hi. How, how are you doing? I'm really good. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. And I want to start by just congratulating on you on your last season. Uh, it's, it's, it was successful and, and I saw that you were you're the coach of the year in Sweden. You got received an award for being the coach of the year in all of Iceland. You received a spot in the Champions League and you finished third in the season in the league in Sweden. Is that the best record the club has had in the league? Yes, yeah. it's, it's by far the best uh, record ever. It's a young club, so I mean, it was established 1998, so we don't have more than, what, 22 years of history? Yeah, right, so it's pretty, fairly young. Uh, where does this season rank just in your career? Like, where did you put it up to all the other seasons in your career in terms of success? Um, I don't really rank my seasons in that way, but I think I had some amazing seasons in Iceland with my my club Valur, mm-hmm. but uh, being here for so many years and and finally managing to take the team to a Champions League spot and, and winning a, I say winning a silver, because right. it's it's very different in Sweden. You have two silvers. You have big silver and you have small silver. Oh, okay. So you third, you win a silver. And when I was coaching uh, Valor in Iceland and we won gold, like four out of my five seasons, right. I would never have thought about winning a silver. You would have lost a gold. Mm-hmm. It's different when you have a small team in a small town and there are no expectations, but you have really high and like big dreams. And then you... You win a silver. Yes, sort of like the handball team, men's handball team in the Olympics, when they when they won the silver. Everybody talked about that when they, in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different, and ranking a, a season is really difficult, I think. Yeah, I, I understand. But uh, what I wanted to do, I want to talk about your coaching philosophy and and how you think things as a coach. But I first want to go to the beginning of how it all started. Uh, can you recall like your first memory of just being in touch with football as a sport? Like, how did it all start? Mm, I mean, I have a little bit of help of uh, photographs because I don't really have a memory of maybe the f- like first football experience, but mm-hmm. I remember having a ball at my feet at all times. And when I look at photos, from my parents, I have a ball on almost every single photo. So yeah. it always started really early. But I think my kind of my first memory is related to my mom's brother. So he was a big Liverpool fan and always came to us on Saturdays to watch the Premier League. And so I was sitting there on the sofa watching Premier League with him. That's probably like my first memory of of this like football passion. Right. And and you played for some nine years as a player in in the top league. No, not really. No, I think uh, no. Don't really remember how many years. 
I, I kind of, I was not a successful player, Okay. but I tried to play as, as long as possible and train with the team as long as possible because I wanted to gain experience for my coaching career. All right. Because I already decided at the age of 16, 17, that I, I wanted to become a professional coach, but, uh, I played four seasons, I think. Okay. And, and so you always had the ambition to become a professional coach instead of a player. What was it that, like, why? What, what was it that motivated you to want to become a coach? It's, uh, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a, a feeling that is hard to explain because I was in pretty bad company with friends that I was hanging out with at home and um, was thinking about quitting playing football. So uh, broke my foot and I got a, this like old video cassette or what do you call it? Like a, a videotapes, yeah. Yeah, videotapes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad with uh, some exercises from uh, the coaching. That's oh. like a Dutch guy. What, what did you call him? What was his name? Curver coaching. It's, oh, oh yeah, it's, okay. It's Johan Cruyff. Okay. So, uh, I, like, you would say Johan Cruyff uh, inspired. I mean, the Dutch Dutch school was you use all clips where Johan Cruyff, right. but it was Curver, uh, the coach that was doing all the exercises. So okay. it's something that inspired me a lot. And I, I saw things that I always wanted to be able to do as a football player, but nobody taught me all these things. Mm -hmm. So I started at the age of 16, trying to do everything on this videotape and uh, kind of realized that it was maybe getting too late, but I got really interested in teaching kids mm -hmm. everything on the, on the videotape. So I asked at my club if I could become an assistant coach or, or just try it. Mm -hmm. So I started helping out and like, a kids group of 11, 12 year olds. Mm -hmm. And only after a few trainings, I just experienced this feeling of being a, a role model and they looked up to me and I really meant something to somebody. And I think that's what I needed at that time in life. And uh, so it just, that's where my interest started. And there was no going back after these few first trainings. That's awesome. Um how did it feel like you started as an assistant coach? How did it feel like when you got your first own team to coach where you were just in complete control of practice and, and what you were doing on the, on the pitch? That's actually, uh, that's actually really funny because I was 16 and assistant coach in a, in a youth team with like 10, 11 year olds. And mm -hmm. I felt directly that I was a uh, big of a control freak. I wanted my own team directly. So, right. Uh, I did assistant coach for like one year and then one in my own team and I started coaching my own team at the age of 17 and I've uh, never been assistant coach type. No, right. Honest. Yeah, and and uh, then you coached for some years along with playing playing the football and then at 24 you became the youngest uh, coach ever in the top division. How did that feel? Did you feel like you were you were 24, right? When you took over Ipivaf? Yes. Yes. How did that feel? Just did you feel like you were ready for it? 
at that age? Yeah, I was, I was, I thought I was very ready for it at that time. And I wanted to take over the A team in my club, which when I think back now was really unrealistic. Yes. But at that time, I thought it was so realistic and I was so pissed and angry that they didn't pick me. And I tried to go get in as an assistant coach, but I understand it now that, of course, they didn't want me as an assistant coach because I was way too much of a control freak. I would have like had opinions on everything. And mm-hmm. I criticized a lot at that time. I think I had a, a pretty... I had a bit of a bad character at that time, like criticizing everything around me, what other people were doing. And it's a bit of a insecurity uh, and also thinking I was better than I was. And um, but, it, but it's part of growing up and, and believing in yourself and all that stuff, right? Definitely. Do, do you think you could have reached as far as you've done if you didn't have that mentality for a while, while you were growing up because you know you 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 always demanded more of your environment yeah uh, and that's it's it's interesting that you use the word mentality because i've thought about this a lot is it a personality or is it a mentality mm-hmm. and i definitely think i've had the mentality that has helped me to become a, a coach at a top level but i also think i had uh like bad characteristics um that i needed to like realize myself that i needed to change because mm-hmm. i think i was way too negative and and criticizing and i think of course the mentality was right but you also need people around you that can open your eyes to what you need to change so mm-hmm. and that's also when i get my first job in the in the top league and I only survived for nine months and I was fired. And I think that's okay. a little bit of both my mentality, but also the the personality that I had at mm-hmm. that time. So uh, wh- why, what, what happened? Did you, because I know when you came to Valur, you were very popular among the, amongst the players. And I've seen footages from uh, former players of you talk, talk about that. Uh, did you have a more difficult time getting the players on board when in your first job? Yeah, I, th- I think it, it it really takes time to to create an environment and culture and uh, chemistry in mm-hmm. a group. So you go to a new place and like at that time, I, I I went to the small island outside Iceland. Right. And everybody that knows that island, the North Iceland knows that there is there is different mentality and there is different culture. You don't walk into that island and take over and start doing your thing. It's sort of coming like coming into a tribe. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's definitely. And and um, I learned a lot uh, from these nine months. Yeah. Uh, the island and and i've I've realized years like many years after that i really loved being there and i i think it was one of my best experiences uh both yeah positive and negative but uh it made me a better person and a better coach definitely but um i think i think what i learned the most is that you have to adjust to them before you start to implement all your things mm-hmm. that's a little bit what i took with me also coming here to sweden 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of the same thing coming to a small town and you cannot just implement everything you want in a, in just a couple of months. Mm-hmm. It takes time. That's a good point. Uh, then you joined Valur, which is your home club. You know, you, you grew up there. Um, and you had massive success there. You won four league titles, one cup title, and you were selected coach of the year four times. What did that um, whole period mean to you? Oh, it, it means everything to me. And it's it's uh, a period of time that I think about so many times. And uh, it's funny, I think about it now and it gives me goosebumps. It's just, that's the way it is. And, uh, and one thing that you didn't mention is that, that the Champions League experience, it was mm-hmm. like a fair deal. Mm-hmm. Like we were really successful in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at how small we we are in right. Iceland. Right. Always like every Icelander, you have big goals. You mm-hmm. always believe you're going to win Eurovision mm-hmm. and Champions League. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and you also, what I also noticed is just that there was maybe that always goes hand in hand but there was also success other than just football i mean the players were really happy about you and the and a lot of the individual players you know furthered their goals playing for you and also there was a there was um you managed to create a lot of, a lot of buzz around the women's football in on in that club that maybe hadn't been before, you know, there were people coming to games and, and uh, how do you feel about all that stuff? Yeah, uh, that's, that's probably a big part of me as a coach and a person that I, I think it's about so much more than it that is happening out on the field and, and in the locker room. And when I started coaching that team and we had seriously, we had 30 people watching the games uh, and we had, and, and it's a, huge club with like different sports uh, basketball handball football and uh, and it's an old club like with a lot of history so if you look at the facts you have a lot of people that support the club but for me the question was always how can we how can we get them interested in us mm-hmm. and uh, I think I've been always about like not complaining about the people not coming but in, instead you should try to figure out how can you get them there mm-hmm. how can you get them interested and i was always saying to the girls that it's like going on a movie like if there is a, a big movie going on in the cinemas that everybody's talking about and everybody knows that this film is good then everybody's going to go to the movies mm-hmm. so you have to you have to Uh, create something that will make people talk Mm -hmm. and that's what we did so we started like talking and working on a project how can we make people talking about us so we started doing uh like pretty unusual advertisement yeah i remember that uh, like celebrating the goals in a very different way right and uh, we started doing videos and stuff that we just started up uh, like a blog spot website okay and knew that we would be so annoying but it was everything was about making people talk about us mm-hmm. I remember counting uh, in the 
last game of the season, I remember counting in the middle of the game how many people were sitting in the stands. Right. We were over a thousand people. And for Valor's booming team, having over a thousand people in the stands, it was just huge. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's like a moment in my career that, I, that I'm very proud of. I mean, mm-hmm. it should be about the football, winning games and scoring goals and all that. But to me, this is this is so big. Also. Mm-hmm. And it's also it's a good lesson because, uh, you know, what you talk about create, creating it from within instead of demanding more of you know, the people coming to games, because you had people, you had a thousand people there that really wanted to come to the game and see the game. And that's, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it just became a popular film. Mm-hmm. Like, at the, right. like, people wanted to come because the players were enjoying this so much. You could just see the passion and how they played with their hearts. And I think if you can create an environment where uh, people sitting 200 meters away from you can feel the heart and the passion, then you've come really far mm-hmm. and, and get really far. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you are at Kristianstad, is that right? Kristianstad. Yeah, and you've been there for almost, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you pronounce it in Swedish, you would say Kristianstad. Kristianstad. <laughs> That's, that sounds almost Danish. Mm-hmm. No. But uh, uh, you've been there for almost 10 years, right? No, I've been here for 12 years. 12 years. My my 13th season. Right. And, uh, you know, you've built it up. And like like I said, the last season has been the most successful one. And for that club, it's it's huge success. Um, What would you say, you know, looking through your years there and just back on your career as a whole, has been the most important mindset for you to have to reach that success? Like... How how do you feel you've been able to do it in terms of mindset? Uh, in terms of mindset, I think I'm really stubborn and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit too stubborn. Right. And and I I feel like if I've set a goal that you just need to reach the goal, mm-hmm. cannot quit and you cannot give up. That's kind of what I preach every day for my people. And um, we set high goals uh, directly when I came here. And I've, I've been working for a long time with the same people. And um, I think for for many for many years, it was all about like winning a gold. Like if I would have won a gold after two years here, I would have been so happy and probably just moved on to a, a different place. Mm-hmm. But uh, the journey has changed me a little bit and and I think I've learned to like evaluate and appreciate things that I didn't do before coming here right that um creating something like we have done here is has like gives you a lot mm-hmm. and it only give me and the players and my my uh, co-workers a lot but mm-hmm. you much to the people around like the supporters the people that are working for the club without getting paid anything and um i think it it like is my fire today is like i really want to win something for all of these people mm-hmm. and pulling that together would like it would it would give me so much mm-hmm. uh, when i came here it was it was not really like that then mm-hmm. it was more about just going to sweden being successful 
going to the next place. Yeah, so, so it's kind of more about you, whereas now it's uh, more about the whole thing, you know, the people around it and the team. Yeah, but, it was, but, but the thing is that when I was in Valur, it was all about everybody. Mm-hmm. I thought by going to a new environment, it wouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. I actually thought the Valor, the Valor thing was just something unique that you right. couldn't create again. So it just has changed here. I mean, I obviously wasn't valid for so many years. I mean, I coached the same players, I think, for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So basically doing the same thing here. Right. And I'm experiencing the same thing. Yes. Um, what would you say makes your approach to coaching different? Because I've seen, I've heard play former players talk about that you are... Uh, uh, the best salesperson they've ever met, the best marketer, and it seems like when you, you know, when you when your reputation travels ahead of you, you can feel that there's something different about the approach. But what what would you uh, say is different about your approach, just in your own words? Well, it's uh, it's so difficult saying that you do something different than somebody else. I I, I really think. The players that have had different coaches have to answer that question. Right. But, uh, I feel like I've had. I can maybe touch it by by saying that I've had conversations with other coaches and also with journalists through through the years where I've been criticized a little bit for being close to my players. That they, yeah, maybe that. Um, too much of an open book, right? If it makes sense, but I really don't think I am like an open book. Or I definitely think I'm close to my players and close to the people that I work with, and that's the way I want to have it. I was always like being warned by people in the beginning of my coaching career that you have to have a, a line between you and the players. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get into trouble, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Maybe that's something that is is different, but and maybe it, it can be that I think about a lot of things outside the field. Mm-hmm. A lot of coaches don't do that. They just they want to get into the office, work on the tactics, plan the trainings, uh, coach in the games, and then you go home. But uh, I think for me, it's about so many other things mm-hmm. outside. I I heard one player talk about that. Uh, she had a meeting with you. And you started the meeting with criticizing her uh, as a center, and then you moved her to the uh, what do you call it, Hayri A right back. Yeah, a right back. Yeah, uh, uh, and she, and she said she benefited immensely from that. And I think that's something special when when coaches do that. And I know a coach who who really does that too. And and I've benefited from that. You know, being direct and honest with players is that something you try to emphasize in your approach yeah sometimes i feel like i don't have the filter like right i i I think i coach a lot with feelings i mean i i I think it's really important to know the person behind the player and that's kind of what i want all my co-workers to do like we, we had new people coming in here couple of weeks ago and one of the first things that I said I just draw up a, a person here and then I draw up us around that person and it's about the player like who is behind that player and 
I think we, the coaches, we are, the players are not here for us. We, we are here for the players. We are here to develop football players, but also to, to raise up human beings and help them to become better persons and, and, then, and learn to work together. So I don't know, uh, but I can be really honest and direct, definitely in mm-hmm. my conversations. And I always hear that I don't give enough compliments that I've been too critical, but right. Well, well, the success maybe speaks for itself on, on, on that one. Uh, what about role models? What have been your biggest role models throughout your coaching career? Um, I, I think in the beginning it was uh, uh, Icelandic woman, Vanta Sigurgjörsdóttir, mm-hmm. who was coaching the U16 national team. And I was picked to the, like, Uh, a training squad to the national team and I remember going to the first national team training on the first turf ever built in Iceland and it was really windy and icy and I I, I was so nervous going to the training right. but uh, coming to the training and experiencing for the first time in in my career as a player a coach that had everything structured like from warm up till the end of the training but she was like she was so funny like she started making jokes in the beginning of the training so coming as a nervous player into a, a national team training but she was just joking joking about somebody having yellow socks and joking about the weather and so it wasn't that serious and I I, I remember the feeling of just being so comfortable in the training and being nervous just disappeared directly. Mm-hmm. And then the training was so structured and good. And uh, I kind of just, I, I looked up to her directly from that day and just, I, I dreamt about playing for her. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I had a new goal after that. I wanted to be the first coach beating her because <laughs> she, had, she had a crazy record in the, the top league okay. in Iceland. And uh, I would never tell you the story if I wouldn't have been the first coach feeding her. Right. <laughs> and lost the two years when we managed to beat them. Where, well, that was at Valur? <laughs> no, it was uh, with Ibevaf. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. That's that's a good okay. story. And we were we were losing 2-0 in halftime. And we beat them 4-2 at their home pitch. It's, wow. It's, It's still the game that is like the most memorable, memorable game probably. Yeah. And I think it's it has so much to do with how she inspired me to become a, the coach that I am mm-hmm. a lot more than she would ever think mm-hmm. she did. Did she And, did she know knew that you had had that goal? No, no. I don't think so. She probably read it in an interview yeah. somewhere. Right. Uh, th- this was this was huge for me. Right. I just remember sitting in a bus after that win, and it was amazing to win with a team. But for me, it was <laughs> kind of a, like personal. Um, I don't know. It, it was like winning a trophy. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Um, what about uh, team culture? You know, this is something that um, often coaches think of as a secondary obligation when they're coaching. 
and maybe because it's probably the hardest thing you do in coaching, just getting the team together and all that. And do you have like, do you have just a knack for it, or do you think you have a do you have a structured philosophy about just how you go on about that? Like, how, how do you create good team atmosphere on your team? It's. I think it's very difficult to answer the question because I've, I've tried to put it into words before, and mm-hmm. I get the question often. But I've. Um, I I think it's a lot about the person behind the player again. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to for me. It's really important to meet the person you sign into the group no matter if it's a player or a coach i think you need to you need to feel that it's right like i i i think i almost never sign somebody that i just think is skillful and mm-hmm. has the skills that you're looking for if it if you don't feel like it's the right person for our group i i would normally walk away mm-hmm. and with some few exceptions mm-hmm. but when i made these exceptions normally it doesn't work Mm-hmm. So, I think I think it's really important to talk about uh, the values that we have. Like uh, I always talk about the DNA. Like you 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 try to create a certain DNA mm-hmm. uh, and look for certain DNA. In uh, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just about people are so different. Right. And like we're talking about in the beginning of this interview, are talking about a a personality and a mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think. To create an uh, environment that had, has the chemistry that I want and the culture that I want, then I think that, that you really need to look for the right, both personality and mentality. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying, uh, you're, when you're talking about the individual, uh, you're sort of saying like, because when people talk about team culture, they try to affect the whole team as a whole but you're talking about just investing in every you know every single relationship on the team you know having a personal relationship with every every player on the team something like that yeah i was saying that i i just think it's so important to to create an environment that you that you can be almost sure that people are not talking shit about you mm-hmm. like if you have something to criticize you take you can take that with a person uh, or like with your coach or with anybody else in the group instead of being three, four people in an apartment talking shit about your teammate or your coaches because this is never going to make the environment and the team better. So as soon as I feel that this is going on, then I would normally address it mm-hmm. maybe first with the people involved, but I would also do it in front of the whole group because mm-hmm. this is team sports and if you are doing this then you're ruining for the whole team that's awesome um you talked about your role model vanta and how mm-hmm. she was organized you know it was the first time you felt that uh she was really planning this stuff and from beginning to end in terms of practices and i want to just talk a little bit about uh how you approach that and of course you're an xps user and you've been for what 12 years can you talk a little bit about just how how important it is to you to plan every practice or plan what you're doing in terms of coaching and how maybe you use the XPS system for that? Yeah, first of all, now, now I have no filter, so I'm going to be really honest yeah. and, and say that when 
Brynjar and uh, and Ori were like showing me XTS in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I I was really critical. Like I thought it was too complicated. I thought it was too much of new things. Like I wanted to plan on paper. I was planning in Excel documents, Word documents, and I I thought it was shit to be honest. <laughs> I thought it was amazing for like other people. I was like, right. this is amazing. We're gonna earn money doing this, but I'm not gonna use it. Right. So uh, that's also being stubborn, being like stuck in old routines. But uh after when when I hired Orre as uh who is working with XPS, when I hired him in my coaching staff, I I needed to start using XPS because mm-hmm that's what he was doing and then i had him like teaching me and it didn't took that long time it didn't take that long time and it wasn't that complicated and just as soon as you start using xps it becomes your twin mm-hmm. and, and and that's the truth because you get addicted and you can never stop mm-hmm. so like i use it a lot today and there are there are new tools that have been coming the last years like Instap and Vicecout uh, for football. So I use that a lot also, but um, you can like combine these things so well. You can take out clips from Insta that you put into XPS and I can cut or put pieces together. And what I love with XPS is the, um, is the like the data relationship you can have with your players. Right. Like you, you can have the monitoring uh, every day, like we have now having the COVID situation in the world, mm-hmm. they go in and do their COVID login every day. And I can see their readiness. I can send uh, personal clips to them. And it's it's just so simple, cutting games in there and trainings. Like we attach every game, we film every training and we attach every training uh, into the calendar so the players okay. can go in and just watch the training from yesterday wow that's awesome on the phone and they love it mm-hmm. it, it sort of becomes uh, an extension of you as a coach extension of your brain really mm-hmm. definitely um, what does your future look like in coaching like what are your goals going forward now um, that's difficult to say. I, I normally take one day at a time or one season at a time. So mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, it's probably the sixth season in a row that I sign one year contract. So okay, <laughs> always staying. No, but um, I know that uh, I'm I'm moving closer to doing something different. I want to experience something different and. I'm normally for a long time at the same place and you can almost see the same amount of years in Valer and here. Mm-hmm. So maybe the, the time is moving closer where do, I go somewhere. Else. Do you feel like um, the goal setting process is different from when you were younger? Like, do you feel it, feel like it's uh, uh, more difficult to, to find the aim when you've, when you've done so many things in your career? Um, I, I think uh, when I was younger, I wanted everything. I wanted the timeline to move faster. Mm-hmm. Like I run through the timeline and wanted to, like I wanted so much and I wanted it to happen now. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't feel that way now. Like I, my timeline is there and I can affect my own timeline and make my own the decisions. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, I'm, I'm, I'm a young, I'm young as a coach, even if I feel like an old coach sometimes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm still young and I have a lot of opportunities uh, in front of me. So uh, I just take it as it comes. I mean, you, you never know what happens. And uh, I know that I have opportunities in the end of every year. And yeah. Do, do you still have any like, um, uh, have have something on your checklist like beating Vantasig? Do you have any like, uh, like milestones that you're, that you're working for? Uh, not really, but I, I would really want to win the, the gold in the league here in Sweden. Yes. That would huge and I would like complete my time in Sweden totally mm-hmm. but uh, I'm a huge Manchester United fan and that's also a person that has uh, inspired me a lot through the years Alex Ferguson okay and um, I followed uh, Manchester United closely when he was the coach and coaching Manchester United in the future would be the that would be a dream so yeah. that's awesome uh, Maybe that's something that would that will happen, but yeah. uh, but I also have a have a goals of coaching a national team mm-hmm. in the tournaments. Okay. So I want that to happen also. Okay. So I have, I have many things left to do. Uh, what would you maybe especially for young women who are looking into go go to coaching because you're a huge role role model for them? Uh, what would be your just advice for? young coaches in general, but especially young women just coming up and, and looking to further their career in coaching, like, how would you pay that forward? I just think it's, it's, uh, it's very important to know what you want, like, to really like identify what you want. And I, I often use like a, a rule of five seconds. So it's, um, you get an idea that you want to do something this can be all from a person wanting to uh, start a company or becoming a pilot or becoming a coach for a big team i mean it doesn't matter what it is like you get that idea and then normally there is something behind that idea because you wouldn't be thinking about it and i think you need to within i say within five seconds you need to do something about the idea like if you write it on paper you have taken the first step mm-hmm. because then you have it in front of you mm-hmm. and telling somebody you trust about it also, you're also taking a step towards the goal. So instead of just being silent because our brain is just designed to tell you, no, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like it, it will always like these, these negative thoughts are in all of us, like uh, that it's difficult more than possible. So, I've tried to implement these five second rules for people to talk to me about this because this is what I use myself. Like mm-hmm. I, I just do what I want to do mm-hmm. and I normally jump into the deep. I have no idea how I'm going to like swim up to the surface, but I always think it's, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's just, so, so it's yeah. sort of a way to eliminate overthinking when you're doing, making decisions. 
right? Yeah, it's a little bit about that. It's a little bit about that, but it's, it, I, I don't know, it's a, it's a cliche word to talk about motivation, but mm-hmm. I mean, how often do, don't you wake up in the, in the morning and you're not motivated for the day or life? And then uh, many, everybody goes through that, mm-hmm. but you can, you can really like turn that around. Some people can do it. That's just about uh, hormones. Like you can, you can eat chocolate, listen to music. You right. can, you can go work, working out or go out walking in the sun and you suddenly just get motivated. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you have to bring up your dreams and your questions for yourself and then pick up the phone and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Cause I love when somebody calls me and asks if they can come here to try out or come for a visit or have a conversation with me about their dreams. Like mm-hmm. I just love it because there are not that many people that do that. Mm-hmm. And I would have wanted somebody to say this to me when I was 20 or 25. Mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent note to end the podcast. It, it was, uh, I'm really happy about it and thank you again for coming and yeah, the first episode of the XBS Hub is in the books. Thank you so much. Thank you.